The more competition, the better. Must be a competitive utility. And we don't want to be in the situation where people can't change. They need to have a choice. Welcome to episode 197 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In most urban centers, residents can expect to find large corporate providers offering internet service with very little competition. This week, Chris talks with Charles Barr, president of WebPass, and Lauren Sain, the company's policy advisor. Charles describes WebPass's history and growth and its focus on providing service to apartments, condos, and commercial buildings in San Francisco and seven other cities. As WebPass grows in San Francisco, they're working with city leaders to help them design better policy that will encourage competition. Learn more about the company and their approach at webpass.net. Now let's get to the interview. Here is Chris with Charles Barr, President, and Lauren Sain, Policy Advisor from WebPass. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Charles Barr, the president of WebPass. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. And we also have Lauren Sane, policy advisor to WebPass, on the call as well. Hi, Chris. So I want to learn a little bit more about WebPass. We're going to talk about what cities can do to improve Internet access, in your view. And, and uh, you guys have a couple of proposals. But let's start off with a simple question. What is WebPass? Well, the history of WebPass is very similar to lots of other small ISPs that have started you know, in the past 10 years in the United States. WebPass started in San Francisco in 2003. Um, I'm the sole owner, and we're a cash flow positive business with no outside investment. So that makes us very unusual in the world of ISPs. Um, but we've grown you know, steady for 13 years. We, we grow roughly 50% each and every year, and now we're in five cities. So we've expanded from San Francisco into San Diego, Miami, Chicago, and Boston. And the service we offer is a 500 meg internet service for 60 bucks a month. So uh, those are a lot of high-density communities. Um, how does your model work exactly? Well, we search for the density. We want the density because it makes it easier for us to deploy the network. And the way that our network works is it's point-to-point wireless to apartments, condominiums, commercial buildings in the urban cores of cities. And uh, the point-to-point wireless is the predominant technology for the network, but then we backfill that with fiber optics. So we also have a fleet of fiber trucks and send the guys out there to connect buildings with fiber. And fiber for us simplifies the network. It makes it easier to run. It makes it you know, a simpler network, but the customers really can't tell the difference between the two. But density is key, right? The point-to-point wireless works very well in dense environments, but it doesn't work well over long, long distances. So suburban areas are kind of avoided for us. When you say point-to-point wireless, I think we may have a few listeners who are thinking wireless, that's Wi-Fi, right? Um, Can you just give us a very brief explanation of what point-to-point wireless is? Sure. Point-to-point wireless is one radio talking to another and excluding everything else in the environment. So unlike Wi-Fi or cellular systems or any other point-to-multipoint system where there's one central transmitter and lots of receivers, point-to-point wireless are just two radios talking to each other, and they essentially replace a a piece of cable. So they're very interference immune. They're very high performance. They don't drop packets. they They don't add any latency into the equation. 
I'm always curious about the in the big cities with the point-to-point wireless. We're certainly seeing that in more areas. Um, is that something that you need access to tall buildings to try and avoid trees? You know, what are some of the, the barriers to doing um, point-to-point wireless uh, within these uh, large urban areas? Well, technically, you have to know how to set them up, right? So you do have to avoid trees. You have to have a clear line of sight. You have to have a clear Fresnel zone. But the bigger I mean, obstacles aren't technical. They're regulatory, and they're dealing with landlords and getting permission to actually put the radios up. That takes a lot more time than the engineering. The engineering's pretty straightforward. And when you say to put the radios up, I'm, I'm guessing you don't need to put a radio in every last apartment unit. Um, or do you go to the top of the building and then run wires down, or do you go through windows? We go to the top of the building. So on the roof of every building, we will add a, a mast and put a radio on it. So that mast is typically six feet. It's you know secured from the environment, drilled into the wall. It won't move in a hurricane in Miami, for example. Um, and it connects that building to another building. So one building connects to another, connects to another, connects to another. And then rings are introduced and meshes are introduced, and it becomes a very complex spider web over the city. And when you talk about the mesh, so um, if one building, if something happens to it, then um, you know it's not a single point of failure, I'm, I'm guessing. It is for that building. So if something happens to that building, the residents of that building will lose Internet service. But it's not a single point of failure for the network as a whole. So you can lose one or two buildings um, every day, right? And, and they do break every day. We have buildings go down every day for all sorts of reasons. But the predominant reason is power outages, right? Power goes down the building, Internet goes down the building. But it doesn't affect the buildings around it. Well, I think that's pretty important. Now, when we had uh, talked before and I was getting a little bit more acquainted with WebPass, uh, you know, you had a pretty strong critique, I think, of people that are focused, I think you might say single-mindedly, on getting fiber everywhere, and um, which is a position that I have adopted, although I think I'm, um, I'm comfortable waiting for some period of time. I like the idea of using both fixed wireless and fiber over the time it takes to get fiber everywhere at a reasonable cost. Um, but tell me more about why I should not be focused so single-mindedly on fiber. Well, internally, we refer to that as the fiber fetish, right? Um, every journalist and every article and every you know, communication about the internet assumes that fiber is the answer. And that's not just not the case. Fiber is part of the answer, but it is not the answer, right? The answer has to be a much more comprehensive approach to include all the problems that are required to deliver internet. And fiber is great, but fiber does have some, some disadvantages. The first, first and foremost is it takes forever to put it in the ground because you have to go through all the permitting process to get it in the ground. And secondly, fiber is not movable. So when you put it into a building, as long as you have a customer in that building, it's great. But as soon as you lose that customer, that becomes a dead asset. So that's typically why fiber companies have problems expanding if they're married to fiber and fiber only. And that's one of WebPass's great advantages, right? If you call me tomorrow, if you call me today for service, I can turn you on tomorrow because I don't have to go through that, in, that process of getting fiber in the ground. I'll bring you fiber in six months, but you're going to get online immediately. And that's the great advantage of point-to-point wireless. One of the things that you've noticed is that um, fiber takes a long time to get in the ground, but it's not the only thing that is slowing down internet uh, access improvements. Uh, you know, you've, you've been promoting uh, a, a new set of policies to improve internet access to enable uh, companies such as yourself to do a better job of expanding. Uh, Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about what you have in mind? As you probably know, we've had the dream of 
competition in the Internet marketplace going back to the Telecom Act of 1996. But so far, that dream hasn't come true. And we've seen that we're kind of stymied at the federal and state level in getting a thriving Internet marketplace where we have uh, low-cost, uh, high-speed Internet. So cities all around the co country are stepping up. And giving, given Charles's experience here at WebPass, he's discovered what the various barriers are to um, an independent competitor like us getting into the market. So we've put together really a toolbox of solutions and put it into an Internet franchise ordinance, and we've proposed it to our, uh, our Board of Supervisors. And what it would do is, first of all, it declares Internet service a public utility in the city, and then it's an optional, non-exclusive franchise process where anyone, any ISP who chooses to go through the franchise application process will have easier access to buildings, to rights of way, to existing infrastructure. So I think this is actually one of the one of the areas in which all new competitive providers, such as yourself, uh, run into the problem of the apartment buildings. Now let's step back. Let's step back for a second and ask. Um, and, and Charles, you might be the one to answer this one. Um, how have you been so successful at getting into apartment buildings? And then we can come back to some of the challenges you still face. Well, we're successful because we approach each building as an amenity, and we try and introduce competition into those buildings. Everyone is used to the, the feeling of helplessness when you can't change your internet provider, when you only have one choice or you're unhappy with your provider and you, you essentially have no choices. So by framing it in that way, when we approach buildings, residential buildings, and we say, we want to be competition in this building, we want to bring it, we'll foot the bill, we'll pay for everything, and then we'll vie for customers inside, it's a very good proposition for those residents. And most of the time, they'll take it. Um, even if they don't sign up for WebPass service, having an alternate provider there is comforting, right? Because then you can fire the other guy, or you can fire WebPass but you have the ability to choose your ISP. And that's really what people want. They want the ability to choose. So that's how we frame it. Well, I absolutely understand how that would be popular with residents. Um, but, you know, I was talking recently with another provider that was trying to get into uh, apartment buildings, and, and he was suggesting that their frustration is that apartment owners often, I'm sorry, the building owners will actually often want some kind of payment or some sort of large, you know, payoff to let you in the building. Um, is that something you've come across? We come across it all the time. We don't engage in it, but we come across it. Landlords have really two things to sell, right? They can sell time and space, and that's it. So they try and maximize their revenue every way they can. And in the mid-90s, you know, many ISPs would engage in revenue sharing agreements, or they would pay rent to be in buildings in order to offer the service. That ultimately is a business killer, right? We've seen many, many companies come through and try and do the rev share model, and they never last. So WebPass, as a rule, never does it. But that keeps us out of certain buildings. So the buildings we don't have in San Francisco we'll never have because they're typically landlords who demand rev share. And well, and I think that this is right where we get back into the policy, Lauren, which is to wonder with your um, the ideas you have for policies, how can the city uh, do a better job of making sure that residents of apartment buildings actually have the choice in providers? We expect that there will be some difficulties with some developers and some landlords, especially small landlords. 
So we're saying that the developers are not allowed to um, just give exclusive access, and we can do that as part of our regulatory powers already. And a lot of developers actually want to do this. They're already working with us. So on that side, it would really just level the playing field. And on the landlord side, we recognize that it would require internet cabling in multi-unit buildings, and this might be a burden on some smaller landlords. So we do see that for that, that the city might also have to establish uh, a support program to help small landlords retrofit their buildings. And we've actually been through this process with um, the earthquake retro- retrofitting, so we have a model for that. Well, I'm curious if you have a sense of uh, the costs. Uh, they seem to have come down a lot in recent years. I mean, we have like this fiber that can be glued into molding or behind it. It's so manipulable now. Is there any excuse for a landlord that says, uh, well, I want to do it. It's just not feasible. Is We've priced it out, and we we actually have a rewire program at WebPass where landlords can come to us. We provide the financing. We'll put them in touch with a licensed contractor who will run all those cables inside of their units for them. And it typically runs anywhere from three to $700 per unit is a good ballpark figure. In San Francisco particularly, you know, rents are extraordinarily high, so it's not a financial burden to do it. What we see more often in the new buildings now is uh, developers striking deals with one provider to exclude other providers by omitting those cables intentionally. So there'll be a brand new building, it'll have 300 units, they'll strike a deal with AT&T, let's say, or the phone company, and they will only put in one cable for that phone company and say it's dedicated to that phone company. They won't put in coax for cable TV. They won't put in twisted pair for alarm systems or old dial tone. They'll only put in one fiber optic cable for that company, which has no management points. So when you do that, they're basically creating exclusive agreements physically. And the internet franchise is intended to say that's a no-no. You know, you have to build these buildings with the idea of competition in mind. You know, are you seeing uh, support from either on the council or from other people in the city that really want to see uh, this policy set of ideas move forward? We get great support from the aides of the councilmen, but not necessarily the councilmen themselves. In San Francisco, it's called the Board of Supervisors, and we've talked to all of them um, in one way or another. Um, but we haven't got, you know, we haven't got a sponsor or a champion of the, of the legislation yet. We will. I mean. The idea is solid enough that somebody will bring it into the public discourse, but we don't have that person yet. I guess I have a little bit more positive impression from our board of supervisors. I think they're very interested in bringing good Internet to San Francisco, of course. You know, I think some of their staff have looked into the ordinance, and there are definitely some jurisdictional challenges. You know, the city would have to be willing to defend this. So I think they're they're really kind of balancing um, how much they want to kind of step out in front of this. And what we what we really need to do at this point is to, I, I think, is to uh, do some workshopping or set up some forms where, where we can get input from a lot of stakeholders and really strengthen the ordinance so that it can have, have broad support. But I, I think the interest is definitely there. On our website, when you're trying to get WebPass service, we have a place where you can enter your address and phone number if you want to bring WebPass to your building. So we have a whole list of people who want us to come. So we have a lot of public support. <laughs> 
Well, and I was noticing that you, as part of this uh, these policy proposals, you include uh, a ranking, um, which I believe New York City has uh, through a nonprofit organization that's been spun off that does rankings for web access availability. Um, and tell me why that would be important to you. Well, it was one way to av- avoid another layer of regulations. And what we're doing is really um, copying the gig economy model, Uber or Airbnb and so on, where the customers have an online system where they can rate the company. And so prospective companies can look there and find out how good the quality of service is and how the prices are, the speeds and so on. So that would be the, the way to really promote good customer service. What makes you so confident that you would do well relative to other service providers in a situation in which people had more choices? I love that question. Right? And the, the answer to that is because WebPass was forged by competition. Here in our home market, there's probably 20 ISPs that are all competing already for all the customers that we have, and we've established a dominant position. The more competition, the better, right? And that's what makes this utility, the internet utility, so unique is it's a competitive utility. It must be a competitive utility. And we don't want to be in the situation that we described earlier where people can't change. They need to have a choice. There's going to be competition. And the best way to approach it is just to embrace that competition and move forward with it. And WebPass has proven time and time again we can, we can do well against competition. Yeah, and Lauren, do you have anything to add to that? Why is WebPass, you know, uniquely suited to doing well in a competitive environment? Well, we're always tops on speedtest.com, and we've been named in some policy uh, papers, such as for the new Amer- from the New America Foundation as the fastest service. And, uh, we, you know, we have great ratings on Yelp. We just get lots of customer feedback that shows that we're excellent. And, and we don't have any uh, contract installation fees, any of the additional fees that you typically see with the incumbents. Everywhere I go and people see who, where I'm from, if they've heard of WebPass, they want WebPass. As a rule and as one of the tenants of our company, we try and make the, the experience that among equals. WebPass is equal to each and every customer, and it's not a dictatorial relationship like it is with other telecom providers or, you know, airlines. You never know with an airline or a telecom company what you're paying until the bill comes or you get to your destination. We try and take the other tact where we're very direct. As long as you want to be a WebPass customer, we want to be your provider. And it has to be mutually beneficial. That emotion or that brand comes through to the customers, and they are very, very loyal. One of the, I didn't do a word cloud of your ordinance, but if I did, I, I think choke point would be a word that um, is, is in heavy bold. You know, it, it comes up again and again, I think. Um, why is that word, um, why is that idea troublesome? Back to your original question, why is fiber not the answer? Fiber is part of the answer, but not the answer, because it only addresses one of the choke points, right? To build a network, you have to be able to do so many things. You have to get into the public rights of way. You have to be able to put manholes in the street. You have to be able to use telephone poles. You have to be able to enter private property, and that's key. You have to be able to get into private property. You have to be able to respond to outages. There's so many things that are required, and there are so many choke points to your question that most policymakers don't consider that. They merely consider the technology, and the technology they want is fiber, fiber, fiber. Are, are there are there not choke points in your network then? Of course there are. Of course there are. But that's what we do. That's why we're good companies. Every day we find them and eliminate them. 
And because our network is so organic, I mean, every day a new building comes online. Every day a new commercial customer comes online. Every day, you know, 50 new residential customers come online. The network is constantly changing. The bandwidth patterns are constantly changing. The way it's built is constantly changing. And that's why fiber for us simplifies the network. When we put it in, we can simplify our network management tool. We can eliminate choke points. And that's networking 101, right? They'll never go away. Choke points will never go away. It's just how you deal with them. And so when you say when you say choke points, is that a choke point for the entire city or just for an ISP's customers or you know who who chokes? If you're talking about our network, the choke points would be specific links that need to be upgraded, right? They were, let's say we put in a, a gigabit link, it gets to a certain percentage of utilization. And in our world, it's roughly 75%. When they get to 75% utilization, then we have to you know, put in a 2 gig or a 5 gig or a 10 gig link to keep the bandwidth going to make sure that there's always sufficient headroom for the network to, to move. If you're talking about between networks, one of the common choke point locations is the peering points. I'm going to peer with AT&T, I'm going to peer with Level 3, I'm going to peer with my competitors and exchange traffic between those at those peering points. There are some providers that are notorious for having great internal networks but but artificially clogging the peering ports so that traffic doesn't go to other to their competitors. And then there's choke points inside of the buildings themselves, right? Um, we're talking about regulatory choke points, getting into the buildings, getting the permits getting everything set so you can do the actual construction. It's a very difficult job, which is why customers pay for it monthly. If it was easy, you would you would pay for it once and it would work forever. <laughs> From a policy point of view, the choke points are really any any barrier that prevents independent ISP from getting into the market and competing with the incumbents who here are AT&T and Comcast. So as Charles mentioned, that could be a, an onerous permitting process. It could be lack of infrastructure in a building. It could be a rev share agreement that excludes others. It could be, you know, the, the cabling in a multi-unit building that prevents other, other ISPs from using, using that uh, infrastructure. It could be um, that you, if you have a right to use the utilities infrastructure under federal and state law, it could be that incumbent utility imposing delays, costs, um, just preventing you from, from being able to get into their conduit. So it's a whole range of things that whatever stops you from getting into the market and competing with Comcast and AT&T is a choke point. One of the things that's been proposed in San Francisco, uh, because the city already has a fair amount of fiber, uh, would be you know making the fiber open to companies such as yourself that could then lease it on a generally like a point-to-point basis, I'm going to guess, for someone like you. Uh, is that something that would help your business? It would help, but it's not a monumental, earth-shattering change because there already exists tons of middle-mile networks in San Francisco that we can lease fiber from. Uh, San Francisco's got at least six companies that have spent a billion dollars putting fiber in the ground, and and it's all there. But that's the problem with fiber, right? It doesn't connect where you want it to connect, and it's still not easy to use even if it's in the ground. Getting it into the building takes months. It takes months. So while that sounds easy and it sounds like that's that's a solution that will solve all the problems, it really doesn't. And then when it comes to the single-family homes, uh, what sort of things do you need to be able to um, be able to connect them? 
the way that we're going to approach single-family homes is we're going to do it with a with a wireless solution, right? And I think that's the way the market's going to go because wireless is more cost-effective when you get out of dense environments like this urban core where we currently operate in and you move towards a more suburban environment. Then you have the more geography to cover. You have more, more fewer homes per square mile, so to speak. And that is a, a recipe for wireless, in my opinion. Well, and I have to ask one one follow-up question, um, which is regarding reliability. That's one of the challenges we've seen with wireless in the past. Um, you know, I'm curious if you would agree that that had been a problem um, and if you still have to deal with that in, in different ways. I would absolutely agree with that. It was a horrible in the past. Uh, the technology wasn't there, but there's some new technology that we are working on right now that's going to solve all those problems. And if you tell me it's uh, 60 gigahertz, I'm going to be a little suspicious. <laughs> it's not. It's uh, it's basically every band under 6 gigahertz. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I, I think that, you know, I've come around. I've long been a person who is fiber everywhere. Um, I still believe that we want to have fiber everywhere for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think that in the meantime, um, wireless is a terrific, uh, you know, way to get people improved service. Um to give them an option away from Comcast and AT&T and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, if the technology scales as quickly as as you think it will, then, you know, maybe we don't have to do the fiber. But I, I'm still going to be leaning in that direction, I have to admit. Fair enough. I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what right now, 500 megabits a second, I would take that if it was, uh, you know, no matter how it was delivered. So um, you guys are certainly um, doing well. You've got a good name in the market. So um, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, um, for telling us about your um, your proposals. And I certainly hope that they would be enacted because I think many of them, regardless of the technology, uh, would result in um, the kind of cities we want to live in with better Internet access. I wholeheartedly agree. And that's what we're trying to set up, a nice competitive regulatory scheme that everyone can use to build a competitive utility. And thank you, Lauren, for coming on and telling us uh, more about the policy side. Thanks for having us, Chris. That was Charles Barr and Lauren Sane from Internet Service Provider WebPass talking with Chris about the company and their policy work. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks.org. Thank you, Kathleen Martin, for the song Player vs. Player, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to another episode, 197, of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. <laughs>